Hello, ladies and gents, and welcome to episode number 56 of the KDH podcast. We've got another big pet, uh, guest on the podcast. We have Michaela Breeze. How are you doing? Really good, thank you. How are you? I'm not too bad. I'm not too bad. I've been following Michaela for a good few years now, and it was funny. I was watching the most recent Olympics, and like I think I replied to your story saying like I was literally watching the weightlifting, and I was like, I recognize that voice, and it was you commentating at the Olympics. And I replied and I was like, why not get Michaela on the podcast? Because I've been following you for a good few years now. And uh, I just kind of wanted to get a bit of an insight as well. So to really introduce yourself, Michaela, to give everyone a bit of an insight to who you are. So if we could hear a bit more about what, uh, your story and what you're doing now, it'd be great to hear. Okay, so where, where do you want me to start? Goodness me, I, I got involved in the sport when I was 13. Um, I was a, it was a PE lesson at school, just a random opportunity to have a go at something different. And I, I stuck with it really to, to rebel. My, my parents wanted me to do the, the typical sports and I decided that I wanted to do my own thing. So that was kind of the reason for, for starting. Um, I, I was also into athletics, long jump, and I carried on with the sport to become more powerful for that. One thing led to another and I did a bit of training and by the age of... Well, about 18, I was number one in, in Great Britain at senior level. Uh, I'd risen through the ranks and was, was, was doing fairly well. And yeah, I, I basically pursued my passion for it and, uh, and just wanted to push myself as far as I could. And, and for me to compete at an Olympic Games was something that I'd been inspired as a youngster watching on TV, the Olympic Games. And, and when women's weightlifting was announced to be part of the Olympic programme in, in uh, Sydney 2000 for me that was the real driving force behind wanting to push myself to see if I could achieve that uh, that coincided then two years later with women's weightlifting being included in the Commonwealth program so yeah my, my background in the sport four Commonwealth games six medals including gold in, in Melbourne 2006 and uh, two Olympics Athens and Beijing uh, I, I was a teacher for about 11 years um, so the back end of my career I was balancing teaching commitments with training and then when I finished lifting I moved to relocated back to Wales uh, to set up a gym that went on for a, a few years was going great and we decided to step out of that so we could be uh, more self-sufficient and I guess call our own shots do things where, what we wanted when we wanted and, and by moving away from the physical gym which was open to the public it, it meant that basically I can travel, I can do the commentary, I can be away from home, I can, I can do whatever I want when I want. So it's just given us the freedom and the flexibility to do that. And now I've got a facility set up at home where I can run training camps. Um, and yeah, so that's pretty much it. Um, we, we've had a, a slight change in circumstance over the last 18 months. We've now got twin babies uh, who are they 17 months old pretty much uh, at the time of recording this so yeah life is life is busy very busy at the moment um, but that's kind of where I've how I got involved and, and where I've been yeah no, that's amazing thanks very much for sharing the insight there it's impressive as well that's a, it's a, a serious record you've got there as well and what's amazing is like literally I didn't even realize that it only got introduced as a female sport in 2000 as well to um was that Athens did you say it was no the, the, uh, Sydney was the first time women's weightlifting was introduced. Um, I just missed out on Sydney. Top 15 in the world went, and I was joint 15th. And they separated us on body weight. Um, Honestly. But at the same time, I was injured as well. So it, it was, you know, it, it was what it was. Um, but for me, my first games was, was Athens. 
Yeah. And what was it like? Because I was I was watching the most recent games and I was just in absolute awe of like thinking about like it is like the sort of the top, the pinnacle. And I know that there's like competitions year round, year round and stuff like that. But like even like like I was just looking at this and I was listening to someone that was like the cycling and I think they said it was like looking at someone's take on it and it was like, oh, someone that came dead last. I was like, yeah, but they're like, say that they are like, say if someone came last out of 10, they're the 10th best in the world at what they do. They're still, I, th- I think the bottom line is they're still an Olympian. Yeah, that's it. Like, it's like, regardless. Um, anybody that says, oh, you know, you, fin- you finish last. Well, yeah, somebody's got to finish last. Of course yeah, they have. 100%. But the bottom line is they're still an Olympian and that's a pretty special club to be a part of. Um, I just want to touch on the point you said there, you know, they're 10th in the world or whatever. That's not necessarily the case. I mean, yeah. in, across sports, it, it varies somewhat and it should be. Wait, uh, the Olympic Games should be the pinnacle of any athlete's career. And I think for, for the majority of the sports that are in the Olympics, it absolutely is. It certainly is for weightlifting. However, there's got to be a question mark and, and attention raised, I think, to, to is it the hardest competition in the world? Yeah. Uh, and it's not. You go to a world champ. You look at a world championships for weightlifting. It's far harder than an Olympic Games. You look at the depth in the world championships. It's far tougher than an Olympic Games, and that is because the IOC restrict the number of athletes that are able to compete in certain sports. So weightlifting have a cap on the number of athletes, and therefore, in terms of qualifying, the best countries in the world can only send a maximum of in the case of the last Olympic Games, four women and four men. But yet there's eight categories for each. So you take the likes of China, where they could, if they wanted, if if they were allowed to send eight men and eight women, they would probably medal in eight categories, but yet only four were allowed to go. So you take, for example, the women's 64 kilo category and Deng Wei from China wasn't even competing. And she is out and out the world-class lifter in that category, but she wasn't there. So it opened up opportunities for other people and not to take away from those that competed, you know, the rules are the rules. And there, there are, and it's the same in other sports as well, where they cut weight categories. Not yeah. all of the categories are, are Olympic sports and that is tough. And that m- means it's quite exclusive rather than inclusive, which personally, I'm not sure uh, that I agree with totally, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah, no, 100%. That's what I was meaning with the sort of, it's more of the being an Olympian is that the sort of club, isn't it? But it's amazing. It's an amazing feeling. And regardless of where you finish, it really is something special to be part of an Olympic Games, to experience uh, what the Olympics is uh, and and to forever be able to call yourself an Olympian. That's just, it's just something that nobody can take away from you. Yeah, it's good to even have an Olympian on the podcast. That's what I was buzzing about as well. Um, but yeah, like I remember actually talking to it was I was reading it in Samantha Briggs' book. I had Samantha Briggs on the podcast, who was the world's fittest on earth 2013, who just she's competed in like like ridiculous amount of games, CrossFit games. And in her book, it spoke about the statistics to get to the CrossFit games. It was like it was insane. And like it's so funny that. In the CrossFit Games, obviously, if you're right into it, you, you might like keep up with everyone in it, but most folk might only look at the top 10. And the reality is the people that are even there, it is like, it's insane what they've actually done. And in Samantha Briggs' book, she actually talks about the statistics. Now, that's a, a smaller community than the Olympics and a sport like running, weightlifting. So the statistics are even further deeper. So even being an Olympian 
is like that, as you said, it's like being part of that club is something else that it's a part of you. It's like a part of your identity as well. And it's, it's an amazing thing to even get to there. And like, I think that's why I was so amazed. Like when I'm watching folk breaking records, you're like, or like doing something, that's the first person ever to do that in the world like ever, ever. And it's amazing. And you would have felt that same buzz at the watching the weightlifting for, what was that Chinese female called the, um, when she was just. Don't ask me to pronounce the names now. (laughs) Yeah. um, But I was literally, that was unbelievable. She, did she not like tank the world record by like, like 20 plus kilograms? No, it's, 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 yeah. The the records were being broken left, right and center. Worth noting that you're referring to records. So uh, the Olympic records were pretty much set across most of the categories. But that, that is also because um, they changed the weight categories in Olympic ah, right, okay. a few years ago. And this is the first Olympic Games since the change in weight categories. Therefore, they had to set standards for Olympic ah, records. Right, okay. So they set Olympic standards and therefore they, they were achievable. So it was, it was always going to be the case that a lot of Olympic standards were broken uh, and are now records. Um, so the next time around will be interesting to see whether or, that, whether or not they can be pushed further. Yeah, it was it was good. It was impressive. It was it was something that someone that got me really into weightlifting, and he's I think he's done a lot for this sport as well. Was Sonny Webster? Do you follow Sonny? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I actually started Sonny as a youngster. Did you actually? Yeah. Yeah, not not a huge number of people know that Sonny. Uh, I got a lot of time. Sonny, he's he's a, he's a friend of the family. Um, he was a you know year seven kid at school, and I a talent ID'd him from the corridor, and I said, "Oi, you come and have a go." Yeah. Um, he was just watching the, the weightlifting club and he, he said no 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 he said I wouldn't be any good and I I said this to him because he, he was pretty obviously physically the right stature um, and I said no, come on come on have a go and he just kept saying no 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 I said right you're on detention I said you're on detention until you bring your kit and have a go it's all in joke you know it's all a yeah, bit yeah. and anyway long, long story short he spent two weeks sat on the bench watching um, and after two weeks, he, he started, and sure enough, as I suspected, he, he, he was pretty good. So yeah, I took him to, uh, to about the age of 16. We had a, a few disagreements. Um, I have quite high standards in terms of what I expect, uh, in terms of gym etiquette of my lifters, and punctuality is one. Um, tra- gym training etiquette, you know, when you're training in my gym, you train with a shirt on, and you don't train with a cap on. Now, sunny is sunny, um, yeah. And you know he's done well for himself, and, and fair play to him. I give him credit for that. Uh, there are one or two things uh, in in Sonny's past that have de- definitely tarnished his reputation. I think yeah. everybody knows about that. Um, whatever you think about that is is kind of irrelevant. The problem with it is he was he was given a suspension, but then decided to ignore the rules again. Yeah. And by ignoring the rules, he's then found himself under further suspension. Now, as a uh, as a as a coach, as a as a lifter. It associated with the governing body, I am in no way allowed to associate with him. So our, I guess, paths have kind of gone separate ways. Um, so yeah. he's doing his own thing. Um, and, you know, he is, he is who he is. He's, he, he's very good at what he does in terms of being the showman. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, there's one or two things I, I don't agree with. Uh, yeah. it's, it's not, it doesn't follow my etiquette in terms of the sport. Um, and that's why we're different and, and that's okay that's it. and it's I think everyone's allowed that same opinion and you know what like since becoming a coach and you'll be the same Michaela like well, obviously that like, you've been doing a lot longer than me you're just you're so much like as a coach I always just listen to two sides you're always just, there's always two opinions there's never 
everyone has beliefs, everyone has values in what they do, and not everyone's going to align. And I think, as you said, I kind of liked Sonny's because it was just that sort of like showmanship, as you said, do you know what I mean? Like just making some really cool Instagram-worthy videos for weightlifting. But yeah, I know, it's like I listen to his It's story. a bit of a shame because, you know, it's great that in one, one hand he's, he's getting people excited about the sport, but it's just a shame it comes with the... The reputation, unfortunately. Yeah, I know. It's one of those things. But yeah, like, um, but yeah, no, it was interesting. And that's what I was talking to you before this, knowing Chick Hamilton as well. Like, I actually, right before the pandemic, um, literally my sort of goals completely changed purely because gym shut. And I was literally doing a bit of training at a local gym uh, near me with Chick. And Michaela actually knows Chick as well. Small world, isn't it? Yeah, and- yeah. Yeah, and then literally pandemic happened, gym shut, and then I was like, all right, um, and I was doing a little bit of it in my garage, but I didn't really I didn't really know where I was going with it, and it, I loved it, it was great fun, and I just found it so, like, I went to that gym, and it was literally, like, I think in the when I went on a certain day, I can't remember, it was a lot of, like, mums that were there, but they were incredibly powerful, man, and I was there, like, with a practice bar, just like, learning how to do it properly, and these women are absolutely showing me up, it was amazing, I loved it. And that's what I find a lot of guys don't want to spend the time learning the basics. They just want to, you know, put the weights on and what have you. And and I think there's this this preconceived idea that if somebody's strong already, that they can just crack on with it. And that's totally wrong. You've got to master the movement. So I was was trying to muscle everything up. Yeah, don't be intimidated by the girls. (laughs) No, I was doing CrossFit at the time as well. And I wanted to compete at CrossFit and stuff. And I was like, I need to get better at this. And I started doing that. But everything really changed last year with obviously the change in circumstances. To be honest, like I was doing too much at the one time. I was doing hill running CrossFit weightlifting and my back was just wrecked <laughs> I was going out hill running and I was like what am I doing but yeah I like things have kind of realigned a bit more since then but I'm always I, that's what I always encourage everyone to do and anyone listening it's like you should adopt that white belt mentality because you need to be humbled and I feel like sometimes that like, not enough people are humbled they're just so set in their ways and the reality is they've just created another comfort zone and it's all about learning. And you you go and like you learn mechanics at weightlifting that you will never even understand. Like just it, it's just it's totally different. It's amazing. Like I really, really enjoyed it. I like that analogy, actually, the white belt mentality. And if you look at a martial art, you start at white belt and you build up the ranks until you get to your black belt and then you have the downs. So there's always progression. And I think when when a lot of people come into weightlifting and they don't adopt that mindset, that they they think they know it they know it all very very quickly in just a few weeks and then they start loading the bar it's almost like they've tried to jump from white belt to black belt with with no in between and that is why people stop and they they plateau and they get injured and they they don't improve but uh yeah i quite like that analogy i might use that one going forward good good um so the one that i always say i always use really good comparison between like strength and muscle building linear and i use an example of like a weightlifter versus uh a bodybuilder because it's two really good examples where just because like, there's some weightlifters that I've seen when I was even in just Chick's place in Kilmarnock and they weren't big by stature. They weren't big. They were just so powerful and they were hoisting up lots of weight and compared to their body weight. And then you would might go into a gym and maybe a bodybuilder that weighs 110 kilo and they're benching 80 kilograms for 15 reps and folk are like, oh my God, you're like, but it's all relative to your body and that. And it's not it's the same Very, thing. very different sport, very different way of training and, yeah. and with weightlifting at, a good weightlifter generally doesn't have a huge amount of upper body muscle because you don't need it. The, yeah. the muscle and the power is generated from the big muscle groups. So the quads, the glutes, the back, that's where the bulk of the muscle is. Yeah. So, so hence why 
uh, a weightlifters they don't always look massive but you look at the legs and the bum that's where the that's where the powerhouse where the power is coming from yeah 100 percent um and i so like coming on to like the sort of next part what was it like like see the sort of change at like the 2021 olympics is that do you have you commentated that more of them i mean correct me if i'm wrong i don't even know michaela is that your how many have you done so firstly it's the 2020 olympics even Sorry, though 20, held, yeah i actually meant to wrote that down in, in 2021 um because of it, the reason for that is because of all the branding it was all done beforehand, yeah. and obviously lots, the, of, lots of money <laughs> it was postponed very late so that's why they kept it as the 2020 even though it was in 21 um so that's the second olympic games that i've commentated at uh i've also done uh, ooh, a couple of commonwealth games uh no i haven't won commonwealth games what year is it now? 2021. <laughs> so I, did a, I, I did the 2018 Commonwealth Games and 2014, I actually came out of retirement to compete, so I wasn't commentating there. Um, so no, I've, I've, I've commentated at two Olympics. I've done Youth Olympics as well. Uh, I've done lots of like Europeans. I've done some World Championships. I've done some other events as well. Um, so, so that's me from a commentary background. And um, yeah, it, it was different, I think, in Tokyo. Different mainly because there, because of COVID. Because I say there were no crowds. There, there was still a, a half decent atmosphere in the weightlifting venue, but that is because uh, when lifters were competing, they had their teammates that came down to support and make a bit of noise. There was still uh, a lot of press. You don't realise how many, how much, uh, how how many media people there are involved in these things until I guess you, you take away the spectators and you see. And, and, and there was a lot of press for, for pretty much all of the competitions. And then you've got the volunteers that still have to be there to, to make the games run. So the few people that were there really did make a, make a noise and, and created some atmosphere, but just wasn't the same. There just wasn't Tokyo. There just wasn't, I didn't feel it anyway. I didn't feel that buzz like I have done when I was in Rio or I was working in London. I was in the, the, the venue on the microphone entertaining the crowd and, and, and explaining the rules and what have you um and then obviously competing at, at, at say two two olympic games as well the atmosphere previously has been what's the word to describe electric just yeah. been goosebump moments every day and in tokyo it just felt like we were going to a competition it, it almost didn't feel like the olympic yeah. games um, I hope that wasn't the case for those competing. Obviously, I was on the different end of it, but I'm hoping the athletes still felt that it was, you know, an Olympics and special and what have you, because it certainly was special. Don't don't get me wrong. It just felt different. It just felt just less of an atmosphere in the city. Yeah. But, and and bless the people of Tokyo who who reluctantly, kindly welcomed us there. They were walking in the streets and weren't allowed to go and witness the biggest spectacle in the world on their doorstep. And that must have just been heartbreaking for them. Yeah. Um, so it, 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 it brought challenges. But from my point of view, it was amazing that it ran. It, it went ahead and seemed to go ahead without too many hiccups. I know there were positive COVID tests in the, in the village. Uh, I think there was only one weightlifter that I'm aware of that wasn't able to compete because of it. Um, but, you know, it, it went ahead and... and what do they say? The games must go on. When it's yeah, yeah. No, it was good. It was, I really enjoyed it. It was good to see all the debuts of the new sports as well. Um, mm. It was impressive to watch a lot of them. Very different, a lot of them, like skateboarding, yeah. rock climbing. Yeah. And, and I, wasn't just, I wasn't just commentating on the weightlifting. I was doing. I did a bit of taekwondo, a bit of, oh, beach, you, yeah. bit of yeah. beach volleyball, uh, and yeah. karate. And, and most people don't know, but 
I, I am a black belt myself in Taekwondo. Ah, um, right, okay. I stopped training over two decades ago, but it was lovely to see karate having its, its, its debut. Unfortunately, it's back out again, back out for Paris. And that's a real shame because as a pure martial art, I think karate really did bring something different to the games, which yeah. I don't think the other martial arts have been able to do. Um, so it's, that's very sad to see that that's back out. Yeah. Um, but exciting to see other sports in. Yeah, it was good. It's funny, like the um, surfing is actually thousands of miles away from, because it's not in Paris, obviously not in Paris, like, but it's it's thousands of miles away from where it is. It's just because obviously they have to get a location where it's literally appropriate for it. And it's just funny that, I can't remember where it is, but it's like, a, it's it's miles away from Paris. It's nowhere near it. the same with a lot of games though. Even yeah. when we had the London Olympics, you didn't have uh, sailing there yeah, in London. True. That, that, that was shipped out. You know, some of the sports... Um, it, it's fairly common at Olympic Games for one or two of the sports to so have much to diversity, isn't there? Further away, wherever their facility will accommodate. Yeah, no, hundred. They're all all over the shop as well. But um, the sort of next part I kind of wanted to come on was like, obviously, we we're talking about like, um, what was it like to sort of compete in the level you did? Like, what was it like winning the Commonwealth Games gold there, competing in the Olympics? What was the sort of standards and sacrifice like for life at the moment? Or did you even see it as sacrifice because you just loved it so much? Well, firstly, I wouldn't say I loved it so much. <laughs> I was, you know, working, working your backside off day in, day out, year on year on year to achieve a lifetime dream is, um, yeah, it's hard bloody work. Excuse, excuse me, it's very, very hard. It takes a huge amount of commitment. And unless you have been there as an athlete and trained at that kind of level and that kind of intensity, very few people understand what it means to be able to go and compete at the biggest competitions in the world. And, and for me, I didn't see it as a sacrifice. I saw it as uh, pursuing, pursuing a dream, I guess. So because I was able to achieve something and, and, and make that dream become a reality, the, the sacrifices that some people would refer to them as to me would, it was just normal. Yeah. You know, to me going out and, and enjoying the social life at uni wasn't an option if I wanted to achieve my dream. Mm -hmm. And as far as I was concerned, I could kind of do that when I retired from lifting, I didn't have to do it there and then. Um, and, and I am doing, I'm enjoying life now. Uh, but for me to go out partying and, and to be up late was not conducive to, to good training. And, and if I did that, then it would affect my training for at least a week thereafter. So it, while I was wasting a week doing that, my competitors were progressing. And, and that's the reason that I made the decision to commit to what I wanted to do. So it wasn't a sacrifice. I didn't see it as a loss of other things. I saw it as a commitment to, to me achieving my dream. And, and, I don't think I could properly explain what it meant to me, what it, what it felt like. If I had to use one word to describe what it meant, I'd probably use the word emotional yeah. because when you've grown up seeing people competing at the Olympic games, at Commonwealth games, and you have that dream for that dream to become a reality is, is, is magical. And, and I remember stepping foot onto the Olymp my first ever Olympic platform in, in Athens, 2004. And, and there was that moment where it was like, holy cow, you know, I'm here, I'm, I'm doing this, this is yeah. happening. And, and there's no words that, that can describe that. And it's, very, it's a very different moment to stepping onto an Olympic platform than it is stepping onto a world or a European platform because it, 
there's nothing like it. It's just so, such, such, such a pinnacle of any athlete's career. And then like Commonwealth Games to, you know, to win gold, to, to step on the podium and, and have that medal put around your neck with, with a packed crowd, with, with millions of people watching on TV is, again, something that's, that's virtually impossible, I guess, to describe, but, but is emotional and, and magical all at the same time. Yeah, I think like thanks very much for sharing that, Michaela. Honestly, it's amazing to hear that sort of insight. And you can tell that it's something that's like just you are so proud of as well. And it's like I totally get it. And I can't to be honest, I wrote sacrifice because I feel like it's just one of those things that people say, but at the end of the day, it's not sacrifice, it's because that's where your priorities lie. That's the only sacrifice. difference. It's only a sacrifice if you don't want to do it, I guess. If you don't want to do it, a hundred percent. And I can relate to that because like recently I'm I'm doing an Ironman on Sunday. And it's been dragged out way longer than it could. I'm not particularly interested in endurance. It's more of the feat I've always wanted to do. And now I've felt like I've been, because I genuinely have for the past little while been like, really, I'm, I'm not, it's been so long winded. It was never went, it's went completely out of plan. But at the same time, I've not seen it as sacrifice because it's like, I've mentioned that, but at the same time, it's like, I opted to do it. I wanted to do it. It's been a pinnacle in my sort of head. And I get that. Like when you visualize something and that's, that's all I've been doing recently, thinking about that finish line, thinking about crossing it, that feeling, that emotion. And I think that's one of the things that when it comes to actually reaching a goal, the thing that I say is that actually, even for anyone that's just getting into the gym, anyone listening to the podcast, I know we're talking about Olympic standard Commonwealth Games. It's the same for just getting into the gym. Like, However, if you have not... The moment you see it as a sacrifice is the moment you probably should question yes. what the reasons are for doing it. And, yeah. and like you said there, somebody just wants to go into the gym and get fit. If it's a sacrifice that you're giving up other stuff to do it, then why are you doing it? Yeah. That, that goal, whatever that, whatever that is that drives you as an individual, whether it's me to compete at the highest levels, whether it's somebody to go into a gym and maybe lose weight or to get in better shape for, for health and fitness. If that goal is strong enough, then it should be something you enjoy. Yeah, hard work. Yeah, yeah. it's not hard, yeah. but it should. There should be an element of uh, satisfaction, not sacrifice. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And what you even said about it first when you we spoke about like your training, you were like it's rigorous. It was hard. It's not going to be easy if you want to be that. And it's the same with like there has to be there has to be an element of discomfort. Like there has to be like for your body to adapt, for your mind to adapt there has to be somewhat element of discomfort. And I think sometimes when people don't have it, it's high in the list of priorities. And even when people talk about things like food and the language in which they use, I'm trying to diet. You know, like trying, number one, diet. You're talking about this thing itself. It's a total different thing. You're like, just welcome it into your life with open arms. Yeah, Change yeah. and shift your priorities and look at it from a different perspective because it's nothing to do with the diet or the gym. It's to do with your mindset. Absolutely. It's nothing to do with, like, I talk about this all the time. It's, it's absolutely nothing to do with your physical ability or your metabolism. It's all to do with the way that you perceive what you're actually trying to do. That's, all, that's the only thing that's actually slowing you down. So, yeah, like, um, kind of rubbing off on, like, your, you spoke about having, like, sort of fundamentals in the gym etiquette as well. Like, when coaching other athletes, do you have any sort of golden rules, fundamentals that you have taken from, your sort of journey as an Olympian, Commonwealth champion, anything at all? I think for those people that have worked with me, I mean, I've done stacks of work um, with, with people all over the world, more so during COVID on, on Zoom uh, and remotely. But I work with a lot of people. I go to do a lot of seminars. I have a lot of people come here for training camps. And my, my style of coaching is not for everybody. I'm very much to the point. 
Um, I say things as they are. It's, it's black or it's white. There's never a gray area. People know where they stand. And I do that because I'm passionate about wanting others to improve and to achieve their potential. And I, when I say achieve their potential, I'm not talking about being international athletes. Um, that's, that's great if we find one or two people to, to achieve that level. But for me, it's about taking somebody who wants to improve and helping them achieve that journey so that they can fulfill their potential, but more importantly, do so safely. Now, because I'm passionate about trying to achieve that, that's why I think I'm very quite direct in my coaching. Uh, and I'm not going to say to somebody, that's amazing, well done, if it's not. If they're lifting awfully, I'll tell them. <laughs> but more importantly, I'll tell them how to make the corrections to, to achieve it. I'm not going to woolly something up and, and make it into something it's not. So, so my etiquette in the gym is, is I want to work with people who want to improve. And if you don't want to improve, don't bother coming to me. Yeah. So is... first and foremost, I, I believe I attract the clientele who want to improve. And that, that's the reason they come to me. Um, in terms of my expectations, punctuality is, is always a good one. And if someone is running late or whatever, just drop me a message. It's just common courtesy. Um, you train with, as I said before, you train with your shirt on. Um, I don't care how hot and sweaty it is. You, you, you know, you, you come in and we're here to work. We're, we're here to, to, to train hard, to push ourselves, to get results, uh, whatever those results may be. Um, mirrors, no, no. Um, no posing. I'm not interested in that. that. You know, if you want to go and do bodybuilding, go and do bodybuilding. But this is very much weightlifting to achieve your own personal uh, potential. So, no, my, my gym etiquette, I don't think is crazy. Literally be on time. Communicate if you're not. Um, wear, wear the appropriate kit. Um, no posing is more of a banter one. So if somebody, if I see someone ca catching themselves in a mirror, they'll, they'll get burpees accordingly. Uh, and put your bloody weights away. <laughs> That's pretty much it. I don't think it's too much to ask. And, and to be honest, any gym, any gym that doesn't insist on members putting weights away is one, not doing themselves any favors, but they're also making it an intimidating environment, I think. Yeah. You know, somebody who's, you imagine somebody who's new to the sport, not really sure what they're doing, and they go into a gym, there's weights everywhere. It just feels that intimidating. And no, just little things like that for me is my bugbears in the gym. And the music, no crazy head banging music. And yeah. it's a volume where I can still coach without having to <laughs> You sound so like me in regards to like telling people what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. I think as a coach, see, like one of the things, see if you molly coddle people and just like tell them what they want, you're, not, you're doing them a disservice. You're not, you're not actually, you're not actually coaching some them. People, some people don't want to be told that they're not doing something right. Some people just want all the praise. And to me, that's somebody in the comfort zone. Yeah. Um, I would encourage everybody and myself included. If I'm training myself, if I'm doing something, I want to be better. I just started playing a bit of badminton and I am no international player. I'm no expert. And I'm looking to people to say, help me, you know, tell me what I'm doing. How can I look, how can I move better? Because Otherwise, we just coast and we stay in that comfort zone. And I think as a coach, I'm constantly trying to push people out of that comfort zone. Um, so, yeah, that, that's, that's just me. That's the way I coach. And yeah. I just want to help people achieve their results, their yeah. own personal results and own personal goals. Yeah, 100%. I like what you said about, like, I always say to everyone, I don't care if you're an athlete. I don't care if you're 20 stone. You just have to be coachable, committed and ready to implement huge change. That's it. Perfect don't care and do you know what i've actually had some people as well my mum's actually said to you, to me christian not everyone wants to operate like you and i'm like well i'm teaching people the standards to show up at their absolute best whatever that may look like i don't care 
as you said, it doesn't have to be international sport. It doesn't have to be fucking Iron Man. It doesn't have to be. It could be literally whatever their best is in their eyes. To me, that I'm happy with that. That's it. Achieving individual potential. Um, I'm not. I'm not really interested in working with people that just want to coast. Yeah. If you want to coast and just train and tick over, I'm not. I'm not overly fussed about working with people like that. I want to, I want to push people a little bit. I want to get them out of their comfort zone. I want to challenge them. I want to f- help them feel empowered um, and, 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 and to move forward. Yeah. Because I believe that's the only way we can be the best version of ourselves is to constantly be challenged, to learn to take criticism, to yeah. learn to be able to be coached. Be, you know, as you said there, be coachable. It's, um, I, think, I think sport, not just weightlifting, but sport in general, training in general, can offer so many different aspects um, very much around mindset as well oh 100 and one of the things you probably frequently see see with your mantra as well when you're sort of ethic behind it all is how that improvement and fulfillment and realizing potential rubs off in other areas of people's lives they maybe change their jobs they get out of a relationship they were unhappy and they become a better communicator they show up better for the work they they get career advancements they never had and it, it, it's because they realize that if you install a level of self-belief in someone that they've never had, it just takes them to the next level in so many different aspects. It's, it's life-changing. And I've had a couple of clients recently where they're like, I don't want to say it, but this is life-changing. I'm like, say it. It is. Like, it, like actually, when you do something and achieve something, it completely changes everything. And that's an amazing thing to watch someone do. And it's a, it's a pretty special thing as well. So, um, yeah, like, uh, no, thanks very much for sharing that there, Michaela. Um, so, like, you spoke about, like, weightlifting. Like, one of the things that I really wanted to ask, that how much has it grown since you've been in it? Like, since you really, really started? <laughs> Huge, hugely. So, my God, well, I, when I started, I didn't even know what weightlifting was. The first session I did, I didn't know what weightlifting was. Uh, it was never on TV. It was only ever guys or, you know, it, it, it was very much a male-dominated thing. And I took part, was just given an opportunity, and, and for whatever reason, I, I carried on training. But when I started, I was coming through the ranks. That I did loads of competitions, and there may be a handful of girls that would be entering, and that was it, across all the categories. And... Over the years, and this is a good part, uh, thanks to CrossFit, for um, creating better awareness of the sport and for showing that actually it's okay for women to be athletic and powerful and strong. And so CrossFit for sure has definitely helped increase participation massively. Uh, I don't agree with a lot of the stuff that is done out there. And that's why I guess I'm so busy as a coach working with CrossFitters to, to make sure that they're safe first and foremost. Um, but how has the sport grown? Oh my goodness me, like hugely. I can't, I can't even tell you. I mean, I'm coaching lifters now where the weights that they're lifting would have been good enough to have gone to say a European championships when I was young. And now you can't even qualify for a British champs. So the standards have gone up, up, up. But for myself as an athlete, I recognized very early on that there was no competition in in the UK, in Great Britain, as I was coming through the ranks. And once I hit number one in in Great Britain at the age of 18, I could have easily been complacent with that and just ticked over and and carried on being number one. But for me, it was very much about looking to what the rest of the world were doing and, and looking to aspire to be competitive on the international stage. So I believe it was that mindset that helped me to... I guess pioneer the way with with women's weightlifting in in Great Britain. 
um, that you know I was I was the first lifter really to to push through in the modern era. You know, we did have a women's yeah. team before me, but they were competing where, where the standard really was non-existent. Um, and I don't mean that in any with any disrespect whatsoever. But through my career in the modern era, to to, to challenge for medals at, at big competitions was was huge. Um, so I don't know. I think I think that the sport has, has definitely grown, and it's wonderful to see that. Uh, I am quite saddened to see that the grassroots of our sport is still shocking. And I was doing so much for the grassroots when I was a teacher, but the governing body just doesn't or didn't have the infrastructure in place. And now they're trying to launch some schools things. I hope it works. I really do. Um, my heart has almost gone out of it because of the battles I've had with governing bodies. And I've spent my entire career battling against um, a male-dominated environment. Um, but it's great to see the sport slowly developing and, and just wonderful, absolutely tremendous to see that we had four women qualify outright for the Tokyo Games and to come back with a medal. Emily Campbell, bloody hell, well done. Like there's, that, That's a monumental feat and a, a, a monumental accomplishment in, in women's weightlifting for Great Britain. And I'm really excited and I really, really hope UK sport, excuse this, pull their finger out their ass and support us because they pulled the plug on funding for, for weightlifting and our girls have done it in spite of the system, not because of the system and fair play to them. And I really hope someone from UK sport listens to this and goes, do you know what? We should go public and say, we got it wrong. Yes, UK sport, you got it very wrong, very wrong. What could have been achieved with a bit, bit, bit of support? That question will never be answered. But now you need to, to, to put your money where, where your mouth is and actually start supporting so that our sport can grow. The challenge we've got with our sport, unfortunately, is the doping reputation. Uh, and I pray that, that we'll still be in when Paris comes around in, in terms of Olympic programme. Um, but the sport has just grown beyond belief. And, and, and I'm, I'm very privileged to say that, that you know, I, I guess I did pioneer the way through Great Britain um, in the early days. Uh, and, and it was still nice to be part of it as, as the sport was blossoming. Um, and, you know, the results I hit would, would still be competitive. So um, it's a great honour for me to have had that, that role in the sport. And it's, it's even more wonderful to, for me now to step back and let others take that and, and push it through and, and, and achieve bigger and better than anything I ever did. Yeah, no, it's epic. It's good to watch things grow and it's good to watch standards set. But at the end of the day, the people who pioneer the way, they're the ones who set the standard and people like yourself that decided to just go beyond and, and look for that sort of greatness up on the world rather than just the sort of staying in number one in the UK, that pioneers the way and that set the standards and actually shows people what's actually possible. Then it's just the next person and the next person. So it's amazing, Michaela, that you're still so part of it as well and you're still able to commentate and everything at it. So it's obviously a big part of you. It's in your blood. So it's a good thing. Um, but yeah, that, that kind of brings us on to the sort of the last point. And it was like, I got asked, like I put up a poll yesterday to ask a few different questions for like sort of just general weightlifting and for anyone that can actually add to that. So number one is, how do you maintain your passion for coaching? I think we've kind of seen that already by like how you've been talking for this podcast. I think, I think the passion, not just for coaching, not just for training, I think the passion for anything. So anybody listening to this, I hope that everybody listening to this is passionate about something in their life. And if you're not, then I question what your goals are. 
I have always had something to strive towards because I've always, I, I'm a very driven person. So as an athlete, I had aspirations to compete at the highest levels. As a coach, my aspirations now are to get as many people involved in this sport as possible to help people develop the very best technique they can so that they can be as safe as possible and enjoy the sport for many years to come. Other coaches will have the passion to produce international lifters and take them to the highest levels. I did have that passion as a, as a coach. Um, that passion for me has been overwhelmingly taken over by a different passion for helping people on a technical front. And, and I think that's where, I mean, if you see my, you follow my Instagram, yeah. you'll see that that's what I do now is, is I'm giving out coaching tips because if one coaching tip can help one person, then, then, then I'm a happy coach. So what, what, going back to your question, what helps keep my levels of motivation there and my passion there? It's seeing people do well. It's seeing individuals achieve something that maybe they didn't think they could before. And whether that be, uh, you know, somebody in their 60s or 70s get into a squat position for the first time and go, oh, wow, I didn't think I could do that. Or seeing somebody in, in later life who is now physically more able to get up and down in, in and out of a chair and get down and tie their shoelaces to improve their quality of life through weightlifting. How, how crazy is that? To see young kids who are maybe a little bit nervous and a little bit shy blossom in terms of confidence because that's what weightlifting and, and training uh, and being around other people has given them is just the best feeling as a coach. And that is what motivates me. And that is what drives me and, and, and keeps me going. No, no, great answer. It really, really is. I think it's just sharing that sort of insight of what you've achieved and just showing people the the all that wisdom that you've got, actually being like, look, I can help you fast track. I can help you. And I know what this will do for you. And as you said, it's so much more than just being able to chuck some weight about it. it as you said, blossoming the weights, the weights are the easy bit. Lifting yeah. the weights is, is, is a logical progression once the techniques and the, the foundations are, are mastered. And you cannot master that in two or three weeks. And anybody that puts weights on a bar in the first month is crazy. Yeah. You know, it takes thousands and thousands of repetitions to master something. Yeah. A bit like the, the white belt analogy that you used earlier. Master the basics and, and expect that to take months and years, not, not just a handful of sessions. Once you get that movement pattern fully ingrained, the weights will fly. Yeah. No, 100%. It's just that thing. It's like uh, it just comes over time. It's just like when that moment, when you're first ever driving your car, when you pass your driving test and you're looking at every mirror, you're just like literally stressing out. And all of a sudden, it's like a few months down the line, you're like, how did I even drive from A to B? You're in that sort of like, you're just in the zone where you're doing it. And it's just, it just happens. And I remember even when I was learning to properly swim over the past sort of nine months, and my coach was like, it'll just click. And I was like, what do you mean? And I was thinking about every stroke, every breath, every turn, my breathe, everything. And then one day I was like, I just knocked out like a big swim. And I was like, I just done that. And I didn't think about any of it. It just flowed together. And it's just, it's getting to that point, isn't it? It's just actually learning the movement to get to there. So no, great answer to that. And the second question is, is it pull or push from the floor? Well, you tell me, you're in the start position. You've got your back nice and strong. Your shoulders are above the bar. From the floor, what instigates that first movement? I would say it's both. I'd say it's that How sort of... It? So what, okay, so let me rephrase it. When you come off the floor, what do the arms do? They're literally like ropes. They're hooked onto it. Right. So how is it a pull? 
Yeah, it's true. Yeah. You're hooked on, you're absolutely right. You're hooked on to it with hook grip. So therefore there's no physical bend in the elbow. Even those coaches that are still coaching this lift, the lifts as a first pull and a second pull, even those coaches agree that as you come off the floor, the arms stay straight. Now, whether that be long and loose or whether it's just straight, it doesn't matter. There's still no bend. Therefore, how can it possibly be a pull? Unless you're talking about quads and glutes pulling on bones, that's a different thing. Every muscle pulls on a bone. Yeah. So if you're in that start position and you are driving down with the legs, your quads are pulling on the bones to extend the knee, your glutes are pulling on bones to extend at the hip, but a simultaneous contraction of quads and glutes as you come off the floor all the way past the knees, the arms stay in my view, long and loose. Some coaches will coach straight. Either way, it's not a fucking pull. No, it makes sense. It does, because if you were to pull it, it's no, it's no literal. Like... You want to look at the second pull, as it were. I refer to it as the second phase. You come past the knee, you explode powerfully. A lifter that shrugs and pulls delays the time they drop underneath the bar. Therefore, the bar reaches the highest point at the same time the lifter does. And when the bar starts to drop underneath, so does the lifter. The lifter, if they've got if they've got lucky, they might start a fraction earlier to drop underneath. Compare that with my way of thinking, which is a lifter that relaxes the arms, passes the knees exactly the same. They still explode powerfully exactly the same. But instead of shrugging and pulling, once they've hit that extension with hip and knee, they start to drop. Because of the power generated from the legs through that second phase, the bar will continue to float in an upward trajectory based on momentum. And the height that the bar will achieve is pretty much the same compared to that of a lifter that shrugs and pulls. The difference is a lifter that relaxes the arms will be underneath the bar before it changes direction. Compared to a lifter that shrugs and pulls, they're still at full extension before they drop. So the it's a no-brainer. Yeah, no so brainer. The, the movement's a complete push then? 100%. Yeah, that makes sense. You could argue, you could talk about a third pull where you're dropping underneath the bar uh, and pulling yourself under. And theoretically and biomechanically, yes, that would be a pull. However, if you've got time to think about pulling yourself under the bar, you're way too slow. You should be under before your brain has time to engage. Yeah, no, it makes so much sense. I'm being absolutely schooled on here. It's class. Um, and then last one is, should your initial pull for your clean replicate your pull for your deadlift, conventional deadlift? If I rephrase that, should the first phase replicate? Yes, yeah, the first phase, yeah, yeah, the first phase, yeah. Just established it's not a pull. So should the first phase or the first push? Um, Absolutely. Now, when we talk about deadlift, I'm not talking powerlifting deadlifts here. I'm talking very much uh, snatch or clean grip specific to weightlifting. So we, we do deadlifts as part of our training. That's the exercise that we would substitute for pulls. And, but the movement is very different from a deadlift that, say, a powerlifter would do. So if we look at a snatch or a clean grip deadlift, the aim is to make sure that that movement absolutely replicates the same movement as a snatch or a clean grip first phase, even into second phase, but without the powerful extension. So, yeah. Yeah. No, it makes, it makes a lot of sense. I just sometimes see, like, again, I think, like, when folk talk about deadlifting or, like, that initial pull, 
or that initial push, sorry, it's all to do with literally lever length, isn't it? And like where that person's hips are and stuff as well. So it'll look slightly different as well. No, uh, thanks very much for answering them there. And I hope anyone that's dialed in and it's like right into weightlifting, I hope that helps everyone as well. But um, guys, that is literally it today for us, Michaela. Um, firstly, I just want to say thank you very much for coming on to the podcast. It's been class to get you on anyone doesn't follow Michaela like and you literally want to get cues and tips on how to lift and move better and weightlifting I would 100% recommend following her what's your name on your handle on Instagram so it's, it's at Michaela Breeze um, yeah. and, and on my on my Instagram bio uh, there's a link tree there so so if you want to find out anything I offer training camps seminars online seminars in person um, my courses my technical courses everything is on the link tree uh, in my Instagram bio 100% no like get on that guys if anyone wants to literally level up their weightlifting take it to the next point I would 100% recommend getting in touch with Michaela and see what sort of services she could offer that would align with what you actually want as well but um, I just want to say thank you very much for coming on Michaela it's been an absolute blast and uh, it's, for having uh, me. it's been good fun thank you no 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 problem at all right guys as always if you have listened to the podcast make sure you screenshot it and tag both me and Michaela and it's at coach by KDH and at Michaela Breeze and then you can get us both on there and then we'll get back in touch with you as well when you tag us in it as well but guys as always thank you very much and take it easy goodbye <laughs>